cross and it was Daniel. Oh, what about that? Oh, you beauty! I think it's all over. It is now. It's four. I'm very happy to say that we have Adam Westwood back. Hello, Adam. How are you doing, mate? I'm very good, thank you. I'm more concerned about you. How are you? I'm feeling fantastic. Did she let you out? <laughs> Did you get let out? Did you? Right. That was Dog Joe, by the way. For the boys. Have, have I been here every? Have I been here every week, boys? Good evening. <laughs> good evening. <laughs> There's your answer. Uh, yeah. So we're going to get straight into it. Premier League review. Liverpool versus City was the big talking point. What have we got? Really, real mixed bag of a game, wasn't it? For a 3 1 win. Should we start with the first sort of 10 15? Because uh, City were dominating. Nah, start with the last, please. Oh, right. <laughs> no, City dominated the play. Uh, they had all the attacking. And then two two chances, two uh, passages of play for Liverpool, two goals and killer blows, really. Uh, the first one with Fabino, there was a question for a handball on, on Trent Alexander Arnold. Um, ball gets whipped in. I think it hits Bernardo in the in the build up as well, and then it hits Trent on the arm. Uh, City players sort of stop, goes up the other end. Uh, ball then gets whipped into the box, cleared by Angelino to Fabino, who just smacks it in. Great finish. And then the players are like, well, "What's going to happen with this decision?" Then uh, Carragher was panicking in case he was going to lose <laughs> his job, <laughs> no, in case he was going to lose that goal. And then uh, Michael Oliver checked it on VR. <coughs> Didn't give it. Very quick decision. Very quick. De- one of the quickest VAR decisions I've seen this season so far. They probably had the whole time to check it, didn't they? During I suppose so. Up to the goal, but R- really inconsistent though, because little decisions that you know people might deem not as you know not as important as important. Like, and also is like blatant because I do think it was a, a handball. If you're going off the handball. law, like and I think the one later in the game was would be too harsh to give. Um, we'll touch upon that in just a moment but for me it was a handball so it should have been given as a penalty and that would have changed the whole direction even, of the game even not if because it weren't in a natural position at all no it's but sticking it, out completely. even if you weren't going to give it as a penalty surely it's an accidental handball and you have to stop play and then go from there I thought that that is the ruling that is the letter of the law so I don't know why they're not applying it they've changed the law but then they're not enforcing it properly so this is the issue. Like we, we as fans know that the laws changed, and that now, if, no matter how you touch the ball, if you touch the ball with your hand, it is a, or with your arm, it is, um, it's a penalty or it's a free kick depending on the position. If it goes down as a foul. We saw with Musa Sissoko the other week, the ball hit him like top of it, basically in the armpit, and it was classed as a handball. So if Trent Alexander-Arnold, his arms in mid-air, in an in an unnatural position for a defender. It is, a, it is a foul, it is a penalty, and that should then cancel out the three-no goal. No matter how good the goal was, and the, the goal, there's nothing wrong with the goal itself, but it shouldn't have stood. I don't like the law, the law change. Neither do but I. No, I'm going to give my opinion. <laughs> no, I just think the way you said that. Josh I Allen. hate the law. Josh Allen, I hate the law. Well, uh, I said I don't like the law, not hate, but I just don't agree with it. I don't think that just because it hits your hand, it has to be a penalty. Uh, the last one, as we saw, it's too harsh to give. You've got to consider how close they are um, and whether they're making that conscious effort to raise the hand to the ball. I think that, <clears throat> I know it's still a bit, it was a bit muddled for years, but ball to hand and, and that seemed to be a bit better. It's more fair for the defender because otherwise 
we're going to have loads of players like running around like Branislav Ivanovic used to with his arms yeah. directly behind his back yeah. meaning no balance so yeah but City had to obviously play Bravo in goal 36 years old now uh, Edison out with that in, that thigh injury that he picked up in midweek and Lovren uh, had to come in for Matip so City would have been looking at that as the weak point of Liverpool as much as he might think he's the best centre-back in the world um, <laughs> and City like you said Nathan did create more of the chances it's just Liverpool punished punished them and, and then, uh, second goal wasn't it Robertson whips oh. in a ball Salah gets in the end of it to make it 2-0 perfect but but um, Lots of claims for offside, and if we can uh, connect it to the United game, which we'll talk about next. Later we'll on, we'll yeah. go into next. I say, but so this, I can't remember how long was the check for this one. Was it about it wasn't. It wasn't as long as Sheffield United. It was less than it was less than, minutes, it was less than a minute. four minutes. Sheffield United it was less than a minute for the Salah goal. Oh, all right, Sheffield United was three minute and forty seven seconds. So four minutes. So. So from, like, from this instant of the ball going in, the goal to so hardly any time it. to look at this one, and they've made their decision that quickly. And then is, there's no consistency at all. And there's similar ones in that: is it a toe offside? Is it not? It's not clear and obvious. Like, it's just a joke all round, really. If anything, it? Salah looks more offside than than was it Lundstrom? Yeah, it was yeah, Lundstrom did. To me, anyway. And I just find it silly how it's literally the exact same decision, and one's gone. One's gone in someone's favour. Like one's helped Liverpool massively. And helped them beat their biggest rivals for the season, like in the this season, really. They just stop it at whatever millisecond they fancy, draw the lines wherever they want to whatever body part they want. There's just there needs to be some sort of consistency, and there needs to be something said by this because every single week we're having to discuss VAR. Every week, all the pundits having to well, discuss we're it. having to discuss VAR every week. Not not all of us, and we're not other podcasts. <clears throat> can't discuss it. No, but in, I'm going to throw hands in a minute. In the Sheffield United one, it did look like. Depending on where you drew the line, Dyer's shoulder would be further, uh, would be like where the line should be drawn. Yet yeah, they didn't draw it from It there. really shouldn't be that subjective, though. It should just be. It's this meant is to be a black or white decision. The, f- the player is. Yeah, like. Defender is. Offside's meant to be black or white. We've already aren't. Yeah. yeah they're sti- the yeah. way they're drawing lines kind of makes it look like, 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 come on, like a toe. Um, you, could, you can draw a line at a different angle or perceive it a different way. It's yeah. mental. I feel like somehow though this has almost made refereeing decisions more like debated. Like before, if a referee missed something, you could understand because it'd be like in the heat of the moment it, as the game's going. Like we have, we have the hindsight of watching on TV and being able to see all the slow mo replays. At the time, the referee doesn't, and the amount of mistakes that are happening with VAR at the minute, every single week, everyone's been like this. The VAR is just changing the game, the way we watch football. Yeah, every single week, and um, it's just getting silly at this point. And City did have a couple of good chances when they were 2-0 down. Aguero first and Angelino hit the post after a deflection. Uh, usually you'd expect them to bury it, but I've noticed that City recently, um, this season anyway, they're creating, obviously they have loads of attempts, but whether they're on target or not, that's that's the, the same well, case here, where you know they had three of their 18 on target, which isn't really good enough. Aguero's, Aguero's never scored at Anfield. Yeah, and he just seemed off yesterday. Like he seems like that stats in his head almost. Yeah, like he didn't seem to play his normal side. Nine games. There was a couple of chances any other day would have buried, and it would have <coughs> been a different he's, story. He's up there in the discussion with the best Premier League strikers of all time, and he's he missed so many sitters yesterday and had so many chances that he not well, I say sitters for sitters for him that he'd usually bury, and he just he just seemed so off yesterday. And the, the whole city the whole city team seems a little bit off, especially against Liverpool yesterday. Well, it's hard when. 
you've not got a defence to build and work from. Exactly. Because like Stones and Fernandinho, that's not a partnership at all. One's a centre defensive mid. They're one's really a missing Laporte. Ability, uh, full backs, Angelino. He was <coughs> awful defensively. That being said, attackingly in the, in the last probably the last third of the game, he was ripping apart Trent Alexander Arnold. Defensively, Alexander Arnold were destroying, was being destroyed, shall I say, by Sterling and Angelino. Like, they deserved, I think that City could potentially deserve to draw from this game because that's how good their attacking output was, but then the, everything was off target. I think they could have done with Sane. I think yeah, somebody's really got. Out. I know uh, Sterling's already very pacey, but Sane's got that extra yard of pace. The problem is, Man City's injuries are their biggest player, like some of their biggest players, like Sane's still out, Laporte's out, Edison was out. Whereas Liverpool have been really lucky that they've not had a major injury for a long time to any of their big names. Like, we've not had Van Dijk out for a while or Salah or Mane It's true, but it's worrying from City's recruitment that they've spent so much in their defence in the state years. I know they've had an injury to Laporte, but... They're really weak centre-back-wise. They've got loads of full-backs, but... Well, I said that in the summer when company left. You're left with Otamendi, Stones and Laporte as your only recognised centre-backs. Yeah, losing your, your captain, your leader, like one of your best players for like the last decade, and not bringing in a replacement is scandalous with the amount of money uh, Pep has at his disposal. Like, But there's players, there was players on the market that were wanting to leave this season, like Vertonghen wanted to leave. Someone like Vertonghen would have filled the slot from company perfectly. I doubt that he would have had to go for more expensive than Anyone, like 21 else yeah Levy would have been difficult to negotiate like with. Man United were apparently in for him at one point but then didn't want to didn't want to negotiate with Levy but City aren't the sort of club to just turn that down so I'm surprised that they didn't go for it considering their track mm. record well did anyone see how defensive Pep was in his post-match interviews really he was, was like annoyed. saying like how proud he was one of the best performances he's ever seen basically deflects in a way yeah yeah and whenever he got asked the question about the referees he just said you know ask their team did you see him doing the uh, shaking the two fingers yeah. and, and then there was the thank you very much at full time yeah. as well um, which obviously said no I was genuinely thanking him but I think it's just a bit of frustration um, I guess you can expect when you the gap is so big now it's nine points City are in fourth so. I still don't think he's right to do that yeah but I, I think that if that was um, a manager of a different reputation maybe someone like um Joey Barton, for example, you look at that and it will get heavily criticised. Like, but because he's Pep Guardiola, everyone kind of just, I think, doesn't go in as hard on it personally. I still, I think any manager who complains to the ref, like I know that VAR is problematic. We saw it in the United game, but you didn't have Wilder or even Pochettino because they had a couple of shouts for a penalty. We had a couple of penalty decisions. I VAR. guarantee, if Mourinho uh, was to do that, he would have been sanctioned yeah. by. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there is obviously Klopp, soft spots. Saying that, there was a shout for Klopp to be sanctioned yesterday. When City scored, he was fuming. He was jumping out of his... Um, jumping onto the touchline, he was fuming. I think he gets away with a lot, Klopp. Klopp he does. Cause he's, Liverpool he's, get away with a lot, let's be honest. Like, I know this is obviously coming from a United fan, and everyone's like, going to be biased, but they seem to get away with a lot at the minute. Like, Klopp does a lot of bad crap. Klopp runs onto the, he runs onto the pitch mm. at times, and... Like I, I keep going back to Mourinho, but the, he has a str- like a strained relationship with the FA, and they always sanction him for the slightest things, like Unvenga kicking a bottle or whatever. Klopp's allowed to do this and do that, getting people's faces. Uh, at one, there was a game last season, was it the start of this season, where he literally after they scored, he went like, pretty much ran to well, the centre Last circle. season, um, Everton when that they got that it, winner yeah. when Pickford fumbled it again. He does get away with a lot, I think. Yeah. Well, obviously, for City, it's going to be worrying. They've conceded three twice a season, which doubled their amount from last year, when it took till December against Palace, you know, when they lost 3-2. Yeah, 
don't know if you remember the Townsend goal, the volley. Yeah, I do. Um, but yeah, concerning. But we're going to head into Spurs versus Sheffield United. Another VAR decision, as we said, involved Lundstrom, didn't it, Joe? Yeah, basically the exact same as the Salah one, except for they actually decided to put effort into this VAR decision and spent a good three, well, four minutes drawing about 500 different lines, um, pulling it up. Um, even though you do have, whilst that was a poor decision by VAR, they did make some good decisions in terms of, um, I think twice Tottenham wanted a penalty um, and it was just for, it was just for, um, <coughs> sorry about that, it was just for, soft tackles and players like Son not diving because I, I think Son's quite a respectable player but just going down quite easy or maybe if he hadn't gone down as flamboyantly he might have got a penalty I think that happened in the Everton game as well last week yeah, again he just went yeah he just went down a bit over the top and it makes it look proper fake when maybe you could have got a penalty out of that this game didn't highlight how it, United were amazing it was probably one of the best away performances they've had this season but it highlighted how many issues Tottenham have at the moment, especially at the back. Oh, yeah. A good eight or nine chances were created for Sheffield United purely because of the players like Dyer not being able to play out from the back. They lost possession in their own half multiple times, and United could have had the game buried, to be honest. We had, we hit, Lundstrom hit the post. Yeah. Um, Lundstrom just seemed to have his shooting boots on the entire. I think he's got a lot of confidence from the. Um, Burnley game. Burnley game last weekend. Um, but it's it's a good sign for Sheffield United going into the international break. We're fifth, um, which is amazing. Um, Europa League, here we come. At least <laughs> at least one of our teams will be in the Europa League this season. Oh, one yeah, of the United's. Um, oh, we're going to win it. It's fine. Don't worry about that. In the Champions League, boy. But I also, it was a bit unfortunate because the um, offside decision ruled out David McGoldrick's goal, which would have been yeah. his first Premier League goal. I thought he played well. He did. He played dropped really deep, well. Um, played well. He's kind of like, um, oh, what? W- it was against Man United when Salah didn't play, weren't it? I think it was, weren't it? Yeah. Adam yeah. Was, it was kind of like Salah before that hadn't been scoring loads, hadn't been getting many assists, but when he weren't played, suddenly Liverpool looked a completely different team. And I feel like David McGoldrick's done that for us this season. He's been very good at creating play and also um, closing players down. I think he'll. I think Wilder will stick with. That starting eleven, bar Dino, because we're against Man United next. He, he praised McGoldrick in the post-match, was just saying how how well uh, you press and defend from the front, and that is all f- basically through McGoldrick. McGoldrick hard work. and Muse as well. Uh, like, I'm not I'm not saying that you wouldn't get that from like McBurney or something like that, but when um, Robinson came on, you wouldn't get that from McBurney. <laughs> when Robinson came on, him and I think he came on for Muse. You could tell the difference already. Just Musa was, and Musa's not even fully fit yet. I'm pretty sure, but he just constantly pushes players. And I think last week one of the Burnley goals was because Musa and McGoldrick were just pressing from the front. And yet again today, I think McGoldrick picked up possession quite high and then laid it off to Baldock for his. I think he's now scored in all five, so he's scored in the Conference and League Two, One, and Championship and Premier. Yeah, well, obviously. United took the game to them, as you said, like pressing, and Sanchez and Dyer just did not deal with it well. But Spurs obviously had the first chance with Kane when he should have really done better when he was about six yards out with the flick. But then he, Lundstrom had a similar chance. I was just saying, on Kane, he was piss poor. And any other Again. player, if that was a Salah or if that was an Eden Hazard last season or, you know, Raheem Sterling, they would have been crucified. But because he's, you know, England's striker and 
the media darling Harry Kane, England uh, captain, uh, some game. Uh, say, he gets he gets the benefit of that and gets away I with would, a lot of shit what pundits give to other players. I wouldn't even yeah. say United um, suppressed Kane. I would literally just say that he just was definitely not his self. I think he might still have a, bit, a touch of illness he had, um, which stopped him playing against Everton last week. He just just did not seem just seemed lethargic. I don't. If I was Poch, I wouldn't have even played him. If I'd have or I'd have taken him off at half-time, because I know he wasn't getting a lot supplied, but he still just didn't look himself. He wasn't trying to get into positions. He wasn't trying to poach a ball like you sometimes see, like against Liverpool. Yeah. The only player on that pitch who really, when they got the ball, I was slightly worried was Son. Yeah. And then Mora when he and came on. And then for on. that goal, it was just so unfortunate. Oh, yeah. It was just a mix-up. Stevens has been it. amazing all season, and that's why I don't think... When Dino dropped the ball for Liverpool, obviously Wilder came out and not crucified him but criticised him heavily whereas he didn't really come out and criticise Stevens that much because one it was literally just a mistake and Stevens has been practically flawless the entire well, season. In this game I thought he was one of your best players and oh, yeah. what you said about suppressing I feel like Spurs have failed to do this throughout the season their full backs are playing so narrow that wing backs you know we had it against uh, Liverpool as well they let Trent and Robertson just fly down the wings and then this one the play, they matched up I think they played four at the back, didn't they, Spurs? And Aurier just failed to deal with Stevens. Him and Lundstrom, I feel, have a good connection. So, like, just because Lundstrom's always making those last-minute runs into the box. And with someone like Stevens, who's got the execution like he does, the amount of times, I think it might have been for the goal or a couple of chances in the build-up to it, it was just Stevens drilling a, a pass across the, you know, the box. And... When you put it into that area, it's really dangerous. And Spurs I think the whole team it. are very good chemistry wise. I think the, I think maybe Muse could be a little bit. The only times like United lost possession a couple of times was Muse not reading the ball right. But I think that's just he came in quite late, didn't have a preseason. I think that will get better over time, especially because at the moment, at the rate we're going, Wilder is probably going to keep starting him until um, he maybe has a drought again. But um, I just think that takes a bit of time for it to come. When I watched uh, Soccer Saturday on Saturday, obviously, they made a good point as in often when teams come up, there'll be four or five standout players and then the rest are sort of getting carried. Whereas with United, it's like every single player has contributed, some is doing something like Norwood in midfield, Lundstrom scoring goals, Fleck. the whole back the whole back three and then the wing, the wing backs, the but goalkeeper, strike, everyone's playing their part. Even Billy Sharp's got his uh, Premier League goal now. You've got to remember as well, the only out of that starting eleven we've used for the past two or three games, the only player who didn't play in the Championship with us last season was Moussa. Yeah. He's the only player. <clears throat> the rest of them have had at least a year together. Some of them, players like Chris Basham, has had since He's before been Wilder yeah. took over. Yeah. He's been yeah. there. So like players like that, they've been together for so long, they're going to have better chemistry than let's say, your Everton, who brought in quite a few players at the start of the season. Like, the is, I criticised Musa very heavily on the first few episodes of this show. Like, very heavily criticised Musa. They were the only ones you were on, weren't they? Aha, <sighs> funny boy. Funny boy. No, I criticised him heavily. Him and McBurney. I think McBurney is proven to be a fair criticism. Yeah. But Musa's adjusted to the team really well. Because my original thought was, like, why would you bring a striker in that's not uh, never had a chance at an established Premier League club ever. Like he's never been given a game. So surely, surely, like what's the point bringing him in? But it seems to have been perfect recruiting because he fits the style of play perfectly. Like I never really knew about him that much, and I never knew why he wasn't playing. But now him and McGoldrick could definitely suits the style of play. Him for and McGoldrick could definitely our best um, 
partnership. Start, yeah, partnership at the moment. Um, just purely based on, I think they've got the best all-round. Uh, they tick the most boxes as a pair. I think um, having Robinson as like a super sub as well works better as well. Oh yeah, uh, McBurney at the moment is kind of looking like, why are you here? Type of thing. Like he he Wilder was gonna sub him on, and then we scored, and then he told him to sit back down. Um, because I think McBurney, I don't know, because I've not seen McBurney playing so long. Because when against Southampton, when he there's a reason for that. Because against Southampton, he scored and then he got ruled out for offside. But yet again, he he wasn't really doing. I don't think he's much. a Premier League striker. I know it's harsh on him, but he didn't he didn't cut it when Swansea got relegated that season when he was making appearances off the bench and a few games starting. But then uh, last season he banged him. Yeah, yeah. He, in the Championship he was on fire, and then he's come back up and he's not really had a look because he's not cutting the mustard. It's just some players, like some players like Fleck or Basham, who I think Basham got into a lot of teams of the week um, this week. They've they've had the struggles of League One and Championship and then they've kind of used it to learn, whereas I feel like McBurney hasn't really developed. There's a lot of players like that, like Ross McCormack and stuff, came up, couldn't He was it. such a talent in the Championship and yeah. never was able to succeed in the Prem but Spurs the fact they're on 14 points and that's the lowest after 12 games uh, in the Premier League since 2008-9 when they had 12 <clears throat> and Poch I think it kind of tells the story what we're trying to say as well Poch uh, on Sheffield United said the most difficult thing for us was to match their energy you know constant like they might not have the best be the best technically but they're going to give their all and bring the game to you and give it a hard, give you a hard time they've uh, lost more points from uh Winning positions on any other Premier League side, 12, that's just... I imagine how, where they could be if it's just like half of them points. Could have been well, more they, as well, because let's yeah. face it, they probably... At the end of that game, although I think Tottenham may have dominated in possession, um, they did nothing with it. And if you'd have asked me before the game, would I have taken a draw? I'd have said, yeah. But from that performance, it was quite annoying not to have got the win, especially after the fact that they scored such a un United type of goal like it's not often we can see like a little bit of like a defensive error like that or well, no winning five and some head across to North London the other side Leicester versus Arsenal uh, Arsenal aren't doing too well themselves obviously they're in sixth but the point separating the teams is so fine like we've got West Ham 16th on 13 Sheffield United 5th on 17 so it really is like there's starting to be a, a gap between the top four and the rest. That being said, Leicester City going into second place with this weekend's game, joint second with uh, Chelsea. They're currently sat uh, sat in second place, eight points behind Liverpool. Honestly, I think that they could. I think the way that this is going again, they are at this rate looking like the biggest contenders to Liverpool. I think Leicester are playing the best football in the in the league as a whole. I think Liverpool Liverpool are grinding out results, but their football and the quality of play isn't been amazing. And there's been a lot of games where they could have easily slipped up, like at Sheffield United, if it wasn't for Dino slip, like dropping the ball, they wouldn't have got a po- they would have like lost a point. I still think they'd have got points. I still think they'd have pressed hard. And enough. against obviously they've only dropped one point this season against United, um, up the boys, but two points. That's, oh, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> losing my mind. Losing my mind today. Too many podcasts. That's what you'd say, wouldn't it? Uh, no, Leicester, well. Leicester genuinely are looking amazing. And I think that they could sneak. If Liverpool start messing up or someone gets injured, if Firmino goes out for a few weeks or Van Dijk gets gone for a while, I think Leicester could this could be a way it. they could do it. I don't think they'll be able to sustain it. I think they've got a really good starting eleven and a couple of good subs, but not a good enough squad. I think they will be able to sustain how they're playing at the minute because they've got players playing in the form of their lives. Vardy... 
I think he's in the form of his life at the minute. He's just banging goals in for fun. And they've, yep. they've conceded the least amount of goals now because Sheffield United obviously conceded. They scored 13 and yeah. uh, conceded none in the last three games. Um, you know, they got the likes of Harvey Barnes with four assists. You know, we made that McNeil Barnes comparison a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. Both both on four assists now, and and Didi in the uh, he's been immense and for, for that second goal. He was he battled crucial. for it. Didn't yeah, he? there was about three Arsenal players surrounding them. They were about to counter them, and then broke it up, composed, laid it on to the more technical players like Tielemans and Madison, who obviously then finished. Christmas will tell because over over like over Christmas period, um, they've got City away, and then they've got Liverpool at home. That'll be the real tester. But yeah. before then, they've not really got many. Tough games. I think Liverpool at the King Power is going to be a very interesting game. I think the thing is, because if, if Leicester if Leicester win that, they've gained three points, and obviously Liverpool Liverpool have stayed the same, so they'll, they'll be closing the gap already. And if they pick up points against Man City as well, which I think they probably could at this rate, depending if Man City still have the injury worries they do. And I can't see the form of Leicester, the Leicester players dropping like Suyuncu has been a, has been amazing this entire season. Schmeichel's in great form. You've got Pereira and Chilwell who are. Like arguably some of the best fullbacks in the league. Probably this second season. best. Yeah, Perrin. the best combo in it after Liverpool. Yeah, I think Pereira could like is a shout for probably best like fullback of the season so far because he's both he's all, he's got a great defensive output but then also an amazing attacking output and he scores goals and gets assists all the time. You've then got that amazing midfield trio of Madison and uh, and Didi and, T- and Tielemans. And you've got players like Jose Perez finally hitting his form as well. I honestly can't see this Leicester team slipping up at this point. I think they're set on to be in, ch- in Champions League for sure. Somebody's changing what team he supports, <laughs> isn't he? Funny boy! Jack Westwood, he's coming for you. I'm from but, um, oh, go on. No, I was just going to say that Arsenal welcomed back Bellerin, who I did think was one of their best players. But they opted for free at the back of holding Louise and Chambers. And God, they were ran ragged. They just out of position. I was just going to say, uh, a player we hadn't touched on for Leicester was Johnny Evans. 3.5 yes. million perfect player but Arsenal they Arsenal were looking at him after Left West him Brom off. yeah but the fans were like no we're above Johnny Evans he, he got relegated with West Brom he's not done anything since 2011 it's like this is the class defender who's intelligent keeps and, it simple yeah. and does all the good thing, you yeah, know, he's the thing he's decent with the ball at right. his feet as well decent enough and another player uh, they could have done with instead of David Luiz they spent what was it five million on David Luiz something like that they could have got a leader uh, a warrior defender Gary Cahill on a free and the Arsenal fans laughed that one off as well always passed his best he's he's 33 and missed the whole season last season like he's still got a few good years in the tank yeah. and seeing him at Palace this season I know he's not the greatest with the ball like, playing out from the back but what he does contribute is a massive presence and he'll put his body on the line something you don't really see Socrates or Louise holding Mustafi doing no. at all Oh, I think the most worrying thing for Arsenal, obviously, their defence is not good enough. But I don't know if you saw their starting eleven, but they had Ozil playing, they had Lacazette and Aubameyang. Yes, no Pepe, but that trio should be enough to get create some good quality chances. They got one shot on target. Ozil was dreadful again. I, I thought he's been scapegoated a little bit. He has been, but I don't think he's... he's f- I thought Aubameyang and Lacazette were dreadful, and I thought Ozil, yeah, he weren't great, but he seemed to be signalled out as always, whereas he was trying to make a few intelligent runs here and there, whereas the other, them two strikers really had an off game. And then you look to the rest of the team, Torreira, what was he up to? Like He's coming, finally coming into the squad. Granduzzi, he was really poor. I, I meant just to be a leader and he didn't really show any of that, I just those think characteristics. He does get scapegoated a lot. Yeah, no, I, no I agree I think he's the easy one to pick out because obviously, because like, Emery picked him out and was like, I don't want to use him. So then when he's used, it's like, this is... 
there must be a reason he's being played today. Like, why is he in the squad? That's really poor management, though, because it's just I deflecting think it's just poor from manager. Your, yeah, it's deflecting from yourself. Good evening. <laughs> um, and Vardy obviously got his goal, and against Arsenal, he's the fourth highest scorer. Um, so, yeah, and he's top scorer in the Premier League this season, eleven, and in the calendar year as well, twenty-three. And what about this then? So they're six, twenty-six points from twelve games. Is a mo- is Leicester's most ever, and one more than the season that they won the league. I think they're a better team, more well-rounded, so much better now than better coached. And the good we've mentioned all the players in the starting lineup, but they've also got experience around the squad, like Albrighton, Fuchs, and then obviously the captain Wes Morgan, and then obviously Evans has won titles, Vardy, Schmeichel. So they've got a lot of there's young talent, but also a great group of experienced players that can you know. Lift them up if they get through. T- if they have tough times, and the thing yeah. is, there's all there's that they've like they've got a lot of depth in. Like the only place they've not really got amazing depth is up front. If Vardy gets injured, I suppose they could either play Perez in central or they could bring in uh, Kalechi and Acho. But then say if like Indeed he gets injured, who's one of their best players right now? Hamza Chowdhury is a perfect replacement for him. I would say so, but I feel like that it's still quite a big drop down because oh, I think it it's underrated. It I think drop down right now. Indeed is underappreciated really because everyone likes the technical players like Madison Tielemans, but. And Didi, without him, he is just that shield. He screens everything. Imagine a four-two-three-one, and Didi and Kante at the base, Don't. and then just let the rest, the, the four in front, just do what just they bloody well want. And I do I, think that it's made easier for the defense. I'm not saying that they aren't, you know, good. Evans and Siunchi, we just said that how good they are, but with Ndidi there, he the amount of interceptions he he makes, it just doesn't allow he doesn't allow the ball to get through to them. He's so increased his attacking output this season as well. Like he's re- he's obviously a massive aerial threat, but like he's He's getting his, like he's he's not getting the assist technically, but he's like starting. The, he'll start off the play for the for the goal, yeah. or he'll win. He'll knock down a header, and then Vardy will tap it in. Like he's actually adding more and more to his game every season at this rate, and he's becoming invaluable for Leicester. Yeah, like I don't think they. I think if they lose him uh, in the summer next year, it could be a big issue for him. Burnley West Ham, uh, another disastrous performance from uh, the goalkeeper Roberto Nathan. I don't suppose you. You know anything about this game with Roberto in particular? Uh, yeah, basically, Roberto is shocking. Like you heard it here. Well, let's, no, let's, let's be honest. Of analysis no, let's be honest. Right, if you want, let's be honest. Roberto is shit. If you want some analysis, a flap and a fumble is basically how you sum up his game. He was flapping at everything. There were shots. There were some goals where it was straight at him, and he just sort of flaps his arms or stands still. Um, the, uh, obviously, when he just tips away straight out to, uh, I think that was. Oh yeah, it was Dwight McNeil um, cross, cross, yeah, and he punched it. Which, it, and then they had the shot, the follow-up shot. I don't know if it was Barzi or Pete or somebody like that, but I had the shot and it deflected. It actually came off uh, a Bernie player. Yeah, I think it was Wood. Deemed it, it came off a West Ham defender, and they scored in the resulting corner. But you know, if he a keeper, I think it's underrated if if they actually catch it and are composed how much confidence that installs in the rest of the team. Having the keeper at the back, like, shaking about, you know, just not having any confidence means that your defence is already going to be panicking. Wood as well. There was, uh, basically, just needs to punt it upfield. There's no options at all. He decides to throw it over Wood's head to, um, I think it might have been Balbuena, and he basically has to turn with the ball to try and control it down. But his touch is, like, really heavy, and it gets picked up... um, by McNeil, who drives forward and then just sl- slots it across for for Wood to get on the end of and bury. So it was offside, wasn't it? Wasn't that that was, was that was the Wood goal? There was um, it was an a disallowed one. The header, with, wasn't it? Yeah, McNeil he, he swinged it in, flared it towards the penalty area, 
and Wood was unmarked. Diop misses it. And Wood got his big barnet on it. Powerful one. Oh, um, Rob Roberto basically just watched on. VAR said it was offside. Very harsh decision because again, it gets stopped at different factions of yep. time, and the line was drawn to a different player you didn't think was going to get drawn to. Different body parts as well, like. And then you could tell, you know, we've seen he's not the first player to do this, but when he actually got his goal. He really like just made a mockery of VR and just you know doing the sarcastic pointing to the ear, saying you're not going to check this one. This one's standing. But um, West Ham's defence gaping, isn't it? It's and Rice. We'll talk about England just in a bit, but I can't. You can't pick him out as being the only fault because when you've got a keeper like that doing things like that, uh, <laughs> obviously it's not going to do any any good for any of the players. But I don't think Rice is actually doing any good for West Ham. I don't think he's screening them well. I think at times he can be exploited really easily. I think if a team knows how to work around, like I think he can be very easily worked around. Like his game doesn't change game to game. That happens against Everton. He's very formulaic and he's very, he very he puts in like the same ninety minutes every single game. So if you're if you're if the manager looks ahead and thinks we're going to play Declan Rice week, let's just do this. They'll get around him every week. It's quite a sluggish midfield, I think. Yeah. Like Noble, he's cracking on a bit, and his best game is when he weren't challenged at United, he weren't pressed at all, and he had time on the ball. Whereas I think the game, some of the games can, you know, go past him at times. And Rice, obviously, he's not in great form in that midfield. And then you've got Snodgrass. Snod, yeah, not the fast it never has been. Yeah, never have. And then players like Fornells when they come in, I think. I, I did enjoy watching him on RTV4 last season for Villarreal, but this he's not done anything at all. He's not really acclimatised. He's not adjusted well, has he? And then what about Roberto for the third goal as well? Uh, there was a slight nudge from Barnes, but obviously it was fairly not given. Uh, a keeper needs to be able to deal with you know the same as any outfield player. Not the same extent, but you know a little bit of physicality. And almost a fourth for Burnley from pretty much the same... I think it was another corner... And he's luckily got away with this one. Um, oh, how West Ham are missing Fabianski. Give David Martin a chance. I know he's most of his career has been spent in League One. It's going to be surely better. He's, he's had a few seasons in Championship with MK Dons and uh, Millwall, I think. He's got to be better than Roberto. Even if he can't play it out and he's just got to punch it long every time, he's surely going to be a better shot stopper than this clown. Yeah. Well, Fabianski's out, uh, reportedly going to be out until January, so they've got a month without him. That's a lot and of fixtures. Honestly, I think I think Fabianski's one of the most underrated keepers in the Prem. I think he's really good, and without him in their team, they're really struggling. Well, I know it's nothing to go by, but I swear last season on Fantasy, he was the highest yeah. scoring goalkeeper he's just because of the amount of shots he saves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I thought it was a perfect way for Burnley to bounce back after that result at Bramall Lane. Dyche will be happy going into the international break, whereas Pellegrini fully acknowledges the issue he has he said we need to work hard and reverse this situation it's more than just confidence we're conceding too many goals which they are you know um, they need January to come around quickly they need some more they need some uh, more, like, but they're another team uh, we'll keep this brief but it's another situation like Everton where there's such great squad turnover where they bring in loads of players get rid of a few and then it's just like you're left with the same dead wood like Zabaleta I swear we have this conversation every year with West Ham in the fact that they bring in you know, six or seven players and three or four of them you look at and go they've done it in another league like Haller he's gone off the ball massively but these players come in they get a good start you think oh and then it just completely drops off they end up finishing mid-table or below and then next season it's the same story bring in new players and they pull the wool over your eyes every time because you get drawn into it and think oh West Ham that's a it's a nice option. Like, it's really weird what they're doing with with Zappala. They're not playing to his strengths a lot. 
Like they need. I think with with a guy like Haller up front, you could really do with like quick wingers either side of him, so he can be the guy. He can almost play like that sort of Firmino role of like holding the ball up, backing yeah. into players. He's a lot better with his feet than people getting, might and think. People getting yeah, and then getting balls into his head. I mean, he's he's, he's a great finisher, but he's he's got great heading ability as well. So you should be allowing, you should be like well, exploiting. That. We saw we saw him thrive when he had another partner in, in uh, Luka Jovic. Yeah, because he was the one that the play came into, and then he would be the one to move it on to other players around him. The thing is, at West Ham, do they have many striking options? They got no, rid of Fernandez. I think the thing that helped with him last year was he wasn't the star man. He wasn't like the only person expected to score. Jovic because he was had getting all Jovic just in, Jovic the other side of him, and then had Rebic just behind him, and then he had like Kostic just on the on the left wing, on the left wing back sorry, today to cross balls into him. So there was a lot of support, and there wasn't one star guy. Whereas he's came in, obviously Felipe Anderson as well, but. He's the big money move this year. So all the West Ham fans are looking at him to sort of save the day. And without the extra support from the rest of the team, he's not being able to do that. Yeah. Um, Wood, though, the opposite striker, he's scored in all five of his Premier League games against West Ham, and that's the best 100% scoring record against an opponent well, in this, the competition. This history. year, the, uh, the New Zealanders got a goal every other game. He's got, in the 10 games he's played, he's got five goals. He's really, he's massively improved as of late. Like, I remember watching him when he was at Leicester in the Championship, and he was. Bang average at best. Like he would not be doing this well in the Premier League. No. Him and Kane, wasn't it? Yeah, it was him, yeah. him and Harry Kane the with the ball. Leicester, the yeah. Leicester striking combination back in the day. But no, he's doing really well, and I think he's the sort of striker they need. Like him and Ashley Barnes work really well as a team, uh, and I think the entire squad. I think the entire Burnley squad's going quite under the radar this year. Like they, they get, they're getting, they're a real hammered bag. by Sheffield United. That is what they're, they're getting. Hammered by Sheffield United. They were lose, hammered by Chelsea games, as well. But then they'll get like random, like th- like random three 0 wins here and there. Like it's not. It's like they'll lose 3-0 and then they'll win 3-0 the next week. There's no consistency with the yeah, results. I, think, I don't them. think they'll, they'll complain at Deitch. It's just the goals that they can see. We know, know them for being a tight-knit defensive unit. But um, they lost three and they lost five. They were torn and they lost by United and Chelsea. Cheers, yeah. Joe. Thanks for letting me have my point. Anyway, Chelsea versus Palace. Good win for Chelsea, 2-0. Yeah, very good win. Uh, basically, first half the tail was Palace sat back. They didn't have any outlet at all. I don't think... I think they might have registered one shot, maybe, or not even that in the first half. Basically, it was just Chelsea, they couldn't really get it going. Like, there were some slick passes, and Pulisic was causing a lot of uh, problems. Like, weaving in and out of the box and having shots, he did look lively, but you just thought, is this going to be one of those where Palace nick it on, like, on a counter-attack yeah. and win 1-0? But second half, they came out with more intensity, and they really did up the tempo. And then uh, Tammy's goal was class from... Uh, Kovacic dribbles in from the left uh, rele- relieves it um, drops it into Willian first time back he'll pass t- in the box and then Tammy takes a couple of touches and then just uh, hooks it around the keeper and it's yeah. a, a really calm because Tammy weren't really in the game at all to be honest first half and then he he shows up delivers a goal you can't really complain yeah. about that I mean we keep talking about him every week but Kovacic man of the match performance and for that first goal um Beat about, I think he drew about three or four Palace players. Just saying, then just that ball three, really good at like just drilling it in and like to a good good amount of pace. Nothing too like that where the the receiving player is going to struggle with it. But um, yeah, him and him and Jorginho at the base at the pivot, the double pivot, really essential to getting more possession, which we had sixty one percent. And Kovacic just gone up another gear. Yeah, I thought well last season if we weren't going to have Jorginho in the squad, you'd think oh where's our, you know, our starting point going to be on the pitch, and Kante, he was a little bit off the boil. I thought he he weren't really up to it attacking. He did do his defensive work, but some of his passing was a bit off and that. But Kovacic really did 
you know, control the midfield for us. He, he battled in one possession so many times, uh, dropping off the ball left, right, and centre. And then obviously he's got his Hazard esque dribbles as well, which is really brought to his game this season and gives Chelsea another element going forward. The Chelsea squad seem really hungry to me. Like a lot of the a lot of the team is really young and there's not many experienced players in there. Like the Willian captained the team and he was the most experienced player on the pitch. But the the, the players that are playing seem to like be really thriving under Lampard's leadership and they're almost like they're desperate to prove him like to prove him correct. And I suppose to the fans as well because they've not been able to sign any players in. And they seem to be stepping their game up and performing out of their skin right now. And credit to them. Like they're Chelsea are doing really well and everyone's sort of expecting everyone was thinking I think a lot of people think before the season shall I say were thinking they could finish mid-table and if they did that would have been fine because it's a season of basically a whole new squad but you're performing out of the skin and you're in the top four it looks like you're going to it looks like you could be very set on for Champions League football again Lampard trusts the young players and he gets uh, repaid for that trust Rhys James comes in for his first Premier League start and he basically had it was forcing Zaha to do half the defending work because he was bombing on. He was doing the first half, he was making these little underlapping runs on the inside of Willian. He was taking up some great positions to get to the ball and have a few chances to play it into the box. And I just thought it was really clever and intelligent and he's a, he's a strong powerhouse up, up and down that pitch and he basically had Zaha in his back pocket all game. I thought it was another worry for Chelsea though was when we were at 1-0. Tom, uh, Tomkins, centre-back from Palace, squandered a really good chance. Free kick, whips in. And... No Chelsea player marking it well in sight of Tompkins somehow just misses. Um, it is a concern for Chelsea. Like you know that you're going to be entertained because we play some good football, score a lot, but also concede a lot. So to get a clean sheet in this one, I think would have really impressed Frank. Um, but it's still a concern. I think if as we get into the latter stages, say the Champions League, if we do make it out of the group, this is where we could get punished. You know, an Ajax side. Not, you know, nine men managed to get four and we couldn't beat them. So it, that will concern them, and especially with City away next after the international break. You know that Pep's going to have them drilled, ready for this one when they get back because he won't be happy with the standard that they're, you know, their the, the form at the minute. He likes to dictate I, and dominate. I do fancy our attack against that, that defence to be honest I, do. I think I do as well I think Chelsea could I think Chelsea like, take this Pulisic he gets his goal uh, towards the end um, Batshuayi ball's played into the box and he goes takes a couple of touches and strikes it but it deflects of Cahill sort of floats in the air for a while and then Pulisic is just there on the back post to head home and that's five and three for him now Willian goes under the radar of all the young players but last couple of games he's really added a lot of drive and dynamism to his game which he's been lacking for several years like he's contributing in terms of he'll, he'll play the the quick one twos now and he's his intelligent his intelligent runs and he's making better decisions than he's ever done before his assist for for Abraham was something that we associate with Hazard in past years just a nice little flick perfect amount of pace on it and makes it easy for a forward and they're going to lick the lips when they get that sort of service um but Lampard is the seventh English manager to win six consecutive Premier League matches and the first since Pardew in April 2012 with Newcastle. So it's been a while for some good quality British managers. Chris Wilder, please stand up. Uh, but we're going to move on to Newcastle versus Bournemouth and that's Brucey Ball. What have we got? Well, I mean, they've won back-to-back games, which for Newcastle is a massive shock considering how bad the football's been at the beginning of the season for and them. Kieran Clark. Kieran Clark, back-to-back goals. There we go. Big, big games for the boy. 
I'm surprised they've like I'm not surprised they're doing well because they've shown glimpses throughout the season. Obviously, highlight being when they beat Man United one 0 but they've shown glimpses this season of being able to play decent football. And I think there's been I don't think they've been unlucky because they have also then played dreadful football as well. It's been very it's been a very mixed bag for them this season. It's just a lot of counter attack in it. Um, I think using the pace that they got up top and hoping that one of them scrambles it in because we said last week the the decision making from the likes of St Maximum isn't the greatest so they haven't got somebody that's going to poach you loads of goals so they have to kind of just scrap their way in if you know what I mean and also use set pieces which they are doing did that against West Ham really well and they did it in this one again um, so well, I think Bruce will be happy with it you know what I mean like, I think he was written off wasn't that. he he was written off they were nailed on for relegation they could st- obviously still go down but sitting in 13th in a na- very uh narrow Premier League well, they've, they've got 15 points and in the bottom three there is uh, Norwich Southampton and Watford and Watford are highest in 18 on 8 points so they have they are they are 7 points ahead of them currently so there are they are getting a bit of a buffer from the drop zone and their football seems to be improving they're as well carving out points in games where not many people are taking notice yeah. like, it's a lot of 3 o'clock kickoffs where they're getting their points at the minute you know the games that go under the radar are not on Sky like games that are quite towards the end of match of the day as well and they're just grinding away getting some decent results and I think they've got something good with the front three of Maximum Almiron I know I've I've slagged him off in the past and he's still not got his goal yet or a assist but they do look lively and then Joel Linton he's not the greatest he's not the best technically but he he's an outlet for them yeah he is an outlet uh, and I was impressed with Bournemouth for the, with their goal. Harry Wilson slotting home a really well-worked uh, training ground routine from the corner. But I think Newcastle, I think Bruce at half-time said, you know what, if they can do it, we'll do it. And we saw Shelby, I don't know if you saw it, held it, put his hand on his chest. And I think that signals something and uh, played it around. And then obviously that's how Clark got his goal. Um, but Newcastle will take a lot from this game. They had nine of their 21 attempts on target. Now, any team with that amount should really be winning it. And fair enough that they did um, Bournemouth conceded for the first time in four games a little bit of inconsistency from them you don't know what you're going to get but I feel like yeah. with Bournemouth it's been like that since they've been in the Premier League you just don't know Like, and obviously King at the end as well oh he missed a great chat like he really he's about two yards out I don't know how he's missed it this is the thing Like they, pl- they when they played Man United a few weeks ago they deserved to win the game uh, whereas they've been poor against a Newcastle side that like it's weird, they, they can go from a great performance one week against a big team and then just like slack off against a smaller team. And I think Palace occasionally do the same sort of thing. Like they'll, in the big games against the bigger teams, like Chelsea, like, uh, they usually play really well against like a Man City and Liverpool. And they really they play really well at home as well. And I think Newcastle are almost getting in that same sort of place where they'll, they'll play really well against the games and the games they have to win. And then in a game against like a Villa, where they need to, they need to be grinding out a result in that, they won't be. So in the games they're predicting nothing, they'll get something. And the games that we expect they should be able to get a point, they don't. And I think that really might work against them this season and might leave them in a really difficult position in the last few weeks of the season. They've got really, or they've got quite a tough run up of Christmas as well. So they've got Man City just after the international break. They've got Villa away at Villa Park, mm. which is a difficult, a difficult game for anyone, especially because they're around the same point on the table. Then they've got Man City on the thirtieth of November, fifth of December. They've got Sheffield United, then Southampton. Um, and then they go to Burnley. So, so they've got, got a few in there where they'll, they think they should be able to. I don't know how many, how many points do you think they realistically they should be aiming for out of those five games. Well, I think they should they should be looking for three points against Villa. Uh, I think 
it's fair to say they're not going to get anything. Uh, they're not going to get anything from City. They could probably know they've beat City two 0 at, the, two nil, wasn't at it St James's as well. Season. Yeah, it is at St James's. And so that we could. said about their defence as well. Yeah, cities. So it's to and be got at. They're at Bramall Lane against United. I don't think they'll get. I, they might be able to get a point away, a point there, but I can't see them getting three points. I think points. Say Maxim will cause us trouble. Yeah, personally. And then Bold against, Sa- against Southampton, against Southampton, they need to be winning that. So if they can get, if they can get like six or seven points out of those four games, that'd probably be perfect for them. I think Newcastle will draw against Sheffield United. I think that I think you're right. I think we'll dominate them and then say Maxim will literally just one counter where we've just pushed a bit too far forward. Yeah, he's fast and he's tricky. We're going to head on to the international talk, which sees England take on Montenegro first at home and then Kosovo away. But we just first want to react to the England squad, which was announced last week. Is there any inclusions that you're not too happy with or well, any that you are It's all are based happy on with? form, so I don't know how we can be not happy with it. It's it's completely based on form. Where's you know, Dwight McNeil? You know, you know the fact that like you've got well, play... There's, there's, one, there's one big change that's happened. Unfortunately, Tom Heaton's got injured, which has meant the return... Of Dino to the England squad, uh, which is Joe really even say I think it's deserved. Re- it's so deserved. Which is really good, but at the same time, you've got to look at the fact that two of the three keepers he picked are for teams who, at the moment, are not doing very well from a defensive standpoint. You've got Everton who are fifteenth and Villa who are seventeenth. But also Burnley, I, I wouldn't say you know they're they're shipping a lot of goals as we said. Yeah, yeah, they won three 0 but he made this squad selection beforehand. Is ben Foster retired. Yeah, I think he yeah. because he, I yeah. think he's been phenomenal. Like, oh, he's a good attacking outlet, isn't he, against Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just more I, shots I, on target than Jesse Lingard this season. Hey. Ben Foster. I think yet again, it's just um, well, for going on that, Kyle Walker should be in net then, shouldn't he? He's got hundred percent clean sheet record, but probably going to be more steady hands than uh, Pickford, isn't he? He's definitely not picking this based on form. Let's let's be real right now. It's he on identity. Isn't, isn't it? He isn't picking this on form, and I'm not meaning that he's picking it purely on identity. But there is no way you can look at this and go, oh yeah, so we're put, basing it on form. Stones, who's just come back from injury, is going to replace someone who... It seems like that, though, doesn't it? There's the, only uh, so majority. far you can pick it on form, though. Because you have got to have your knit, your group of players that you trust and you know how they play and you've play, you've had them play so many times for you in tournaments, but, like Stones. I suppose, but, but, but when, then you could also... When, when will you ever get... At the moment, right? We are. I know we've not qualified for Europe yet, but we literally need a point off of these next two games. I don't see why this wouldn't be the time where you might maybe Experiment. if Stones has just come back from injury, why you wouldn't maybe not pick him and pick a different centre back or a Which different centre back would because you pick, Joe? Who I'm would not you even bring? saying I'm not even saying Jack O'Connell, even though we I are technically the second best defence. Because there's already but, some players that are not really experienced with England. Tomorrow he's not even had a cap yet, and then Mings has only had one, and then you've got Stones, Maguire already. I I just think these are the last competitive games before. The friendlies next uh, next spring, and then obviously the Euros after that. I just think it's good to have the players you know in your mind. Maybe there's one, there. or, maybe there's one or two spaces left, but you know in your mind you these want, are the players yeah. I let, want with l- me. Let's say in the next twelve games. So at the moment, after twelve games, for example, Sheffield United have conceded nine goals in the next twelve games. So when when will the international friendlies be next? It's Thursday. Oh, probably be about friendly. February yeah. or March. February. Yeah. So say, say February. the next twelve games. 
if United if United concede another nine goals in so eighteen goals after twenty four games, which would be unreal based on our Christmas fixtures, do you think that he will still prioritise Heaton, Pope and Pickford? Especially the way Pickford's playing. I think he'll Dino. give Dino a shout, to be fair. I don't what, thi- what about from another defensive standpoint? I don't think he's going to be picking O'Connell, to be honest. I think Dino's got a better shot. Just, Dino definitely Yeah, because he's... A lot of people have pushed for it more so than O'Connell. Yeah. O'Connell's only recently come into it. Whereas, whereas O'Connell, there's also defenders for other teams that shine, like Lewis Dunk. Um, I know Burnley aren't in the greatest form at the minute, but Tarkovsky's already had a caps for England. So there, there is players about for every team. Like uh, Steve Cook has been yeah. immense, yeah, for really, Bournemouth. for Bournemouth. There's other players on his on like O'Connell's level, for example. And I think you've got Tamori there. Who's no, I I I, I go with saying I'm happy with him. Literally just picking Dino. It's just I don't think that. The thing is he didn't, players, pick, he I didn't pick Dino. I know he didn't. To start with, back, he picked Heaton. It's, it's another backup. And yet again, I don't think the way. And I know that it's not all the keeper's fault. As you said, Ben Foster's been having a blinder of a season, yet Watford sit 18th. But keepers like Pickford, he's not performing. It isn't even like it isn't like his defence which is letting him down. He is also not being I think that's performing. the clear one where it's like, he is my type of goalkeeper I must include him regardless of form. I, I think, think that's, that's just such an England manager thing to do though, isn't it? Like we've never had, we've not had in my memory at least a manager who would like risk dropping a big player for the sake of it. Like you see, someone like Didier Deschamps will just drop if he's annoyed with Benzema or doesn't think he's in form. He'll just drop him, or he wouldn't. He didn't take. He didn't take him to the, like to the World Cup, for example. Well, he's been out of the squad for like That's eight I mean, years. But well, yeah. But <laughs> this is my point. Of he he initially took like took the drop of him, even though he's been one of Europe's best strikers. I think it is different for, the last for a goalkeeper, though. I'm not about just for a goalkeeper. I'm about for the, yeah, the squad I'm as a whole. I'm just mentioning Pickford in the but sense I think, that I don't think he's England's best keeper, but I know he's Southgate's number one yeah. and it's the person he wants to hang his hat on it's the person he's played for throughout Nations League throughout the World Cup he's had about 10-12 competitive like proper uh, tournament games for England now and net and I know that's the player he's going to trust come the Euros the thing is that I think when you're a national when you're a I hope Pickford get in, gets injured because like I have a- got no faith in if Pickford performs at anywhere near the level he's performing at Everton I have got no faith in that keeper. And that's the one who, from the World Cup, I Pickford was, in my opinion, one of the best players for England. He did a lot in terms of penalty shootouts, pulling off some big saves. Especially, I think, in the Columbia game, yeah. he saved one in like an added time free mm, kick. Yeah. But I don't think he's been performing. I don't know if it's gone to his head or something. I feel like maybe the manager needs to come out in Everton and just say, he's not, say he needs to improve or something. I don't think he's had that reality check. Dino has that reality check. Anytime he's made a mistake, which he has over the past two years for Sheffield United, he gets a reality check straight away. And I think some big names such Didn't as Didn't you mention don't get in that. one of like the first episodes of the podcast how cocky and confident he was, what? even though he wasn't performing Pickford yeah, that is. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. Dino acts cocky and everything <coughs> and he's a character, but then when when like that Liverpool incident happens, he then gets a reality check. He gets the manager coming out and publicly criticising him and then the next week he's very when he pulled he pulled off a, like a, a, it, it was like an added time save I think against Watford to keep it nil-nil and like normally he'd be like screaming and like get in get in there but he pointed straight at the fans and it's a much more he was taken down a peg or two and I don't think Pickford's had that even though he's made multiple mistakes over the past season and a half I just want to get back to the point Nathan was making a second ago 
uh, about uh, about Southgate having his like I know. who he wants yeah. as a goalkeeper, right? Not just as a goalkeeper, but as a national manager, you can't just have a starting eleven. It's not the same as with club like club football. Like we know for a fact that no matter what, David De Gea is going to be the number one goalkeeper if he's fit. You can't have that with international football because more it merit, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I suppose it's like supposed to be. I suppose like you'd look towards your captain, obviously, and you're always going to pick. You're always going to start your captain if he's available and if he's fit. But for example, he's been in such bad form for his club, and he's led to so many errors, which have led to goals. And they're in the they're like struggling in the bottom like, bottom half of the table. Whereas you've got a young goalkeeper like 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 Dino, who has been a massive part of be, of getting Sheffield United to where they are. And while we only need one point from these two games to qualify for the Euros, it's almost the time now to risk the players because if you're not risking the team now, when it gets to the Euros, you're going to have an established squad. Yeah, but it's also going to be is I'm, this team in form? Well, is this I'm team not even meaning Dino. Well? I, I mean Pope as well. I think he should just I even give mean a someone different... like I even mean someone like Harry Kane. Like yeah, Harry Kane's been our captain at times, but he's performing really bad this right, season. I agree You've in the fact that. Tammy I Abraham is getting ten, go- get 10 goals a season. Ten goals this season so far. He's outperforming Kane in every aspect. I think he should be starting. Kane, yeah, up front. and Rashford deserves to play as well. He's scored I think, I think eight in his last nine in all yeah, competitions. Since, his, so. since the last international break, he's been in amazing form, yeah. and I doubt he's going to get. A, I doubt he's going to get a start because of Sancho and yeah, Sancho Sterling. and Sterling. Even though Sancho's been dreadful will form. start to be fair because he got his goal, didn't he, um, in Bulgaria? Yeah, and he looked very like. Li- did he get? Was it one or two? But he looked very lively. Mm. I think it is harsh on Southgate to label him just a man that picks it on player name and not form because it Keane had a. Sh- we all knew Keane was like in p- poor form anyway, and he picked him, and he's had a shambles of a of a um, qualifying campaign, and he's taken him out of the squad completely. He's still Lingard and Ali, you know, have been two England favourites for the last three or four years. He took them out. He yeah. took them out and kept them out. Yeah. So I think he's staying to his word, and some you can't have it completely merit-based otherwise you'd be having a player from Brighton it would have a player from Brighton in this week and a player from Bournemouth in next time and then it'd just be yeah no I get no you. I get both the points I think you need to have a, a mix you know so, some of your own uh, players and but also those that like I, I know he's not a, a Southgate player so that's we're going to typify it but McNeil like we said he's got the joint most assists for an uh, English player with Barnes that one is, of those who should that be that is there. one I would say we always have this Barnes and McNeil debate and I love Callum Hudson-Odoi, but he, he's come back from injury and he's not really done anything for Chelsea yet. He's like third-choice winger at the minute. Yeah. And he's come straight back into this team. Whereas Barnes and McNeil are really making a claim and they do provide something... I'm not bracketing them all three players in the same sort of style, but similar in terms of their young, youthful pace and what they deliver on the ball and stuff. Yeah, I think McNeil's a little bit different in terms of... The, and it might not suit... Southgate with the forwards he's got but I think he's much more dangerous we saw it at the weekend whipping the balls in don't know if it's you know the style that we want to go go with but um, I think it's a good alternative to the likes of Sancho and Sterling but Sancho it might I think it's worth really talking about him. since that last international break where he did return to Dortmund late well it hasn't been too good he, he played well against Inter in Champions League last week but at the weekend obviously Dortmund got drubbed 4-0 by Bayern and he got taken off in the 37th minute. Now, that's concerning. He didn't have any injury. He ran off. Yeah. He reacted well, which I think was good for the teenager. Father said it was a, a tactical change. Yeah, brought Guerrero on. But it's just... Didn't he have an injury just before the England, the last set of uh, international fixtures? I think his re- didn't he return to the... Like he, he didn't start for Dortmund and then return to the... 
So naturally, I think that might be that might be correct. But if I'm not, I don't know. I don't think but, it was. I think it's just that he was not getting chosen. Father just wasn't choosing him, or he wasn't performing. So I think the problem with Sancho at Dortmund is a combination of burnout, the fact that he's basically a young kid that's played every minute yeah. and been relied upon. Also, you've got to take into account, yeah, there is poor form there. And then the fact that he, in his the back of his head, he probably realises he's off in the summer, to be honest. So I think it's a combination of all three, which is yeah. why he's not really doing much at the minute. So if we did do it on form, if we went for lineups, he, d in my opinion, doesn't deserve to be. It should be Rashford be on. on one wing and Sterling on the other with Abraham down the middle. I think the one thing I'm concerned about with the lineup, Billy Sharp sub. Imagine that. What a wonder. What a dream. I think there's a real struggle in midfield. Do you think at the base? I just think in in general, like the midfielders the we've, got, we've got, we've got uh, Delph, Henderson, James Madison, Mason Mount, Oxlade Chamberlain, Declan Rice, and Harry Winks. Now I don't know who you'd really replace him with, other than. Obviously, this is gonna this is gonna make Joe happy, but like someone like Lundstrom or like he could drop in there because his form's really good. I, but, I personally think, but Harry like, Winks is dreadful. I think Harry Winks is honestly shocking. He did make a difference when he came on for Tottenham. At the, um, um, I don't think he adds a great deal though. Well, Declan Rice has obviously had a bit of a of an odd form. Uh, he's in odd form at the minute. You've then got. I think Henderson you have to go with. Henderson, Henderson you've got I wouldn't to go you, with. I'm not usually his biggest fan, but I think I'm not he's doing really all, well for Liverpool. I've always been uh, sympathetic with Henderson for what he delivers. And I wouldn't mention it in the Liverpool game, but his cross for the Mane goal oh, was well yeah, cast. Yeah, yeah, it's worth talking yeah. about. I that. personally wouldn't be... And I mean, I'm a Lundstrom fan, but I don't agree with putting anyone like Lundstrom because I think oh, no, Lundstrom I'm just thinking excels first because English he's, player that came to the top of my because, head because, because quantity, so. he's in the Sheffield United team yeah. I don't think that, I think if you put him in the England team he'd just be mad. bog standard yeah, yeah. I, think I, think, he, I think that'd be and then is it any wonder uh, when Henderson went off for Milner is when City started fully going for it fully pressing hard and Liverpool sort of dropped off a bit is that any wonder I think, I think as much as I say I've not not, never been his biggest fan I noticed in the game against City, we'll just talk about it briefly again, how versatile Henderson is. He obviously started as a right mid at Sunderland. And in this game, I think Klopp purposely did it, where he tactically had him set right of the central midfielders, but he was also playing as like a right midfielder. Yeah. So it meant that they were like doubling up on Angelino. Well, I think um, and I think that he obviously he's going to play more deep if he, does, if he is selected for England. But I think this great, you know, he's not, he's not amazing at, you know, one certain position, but he can just play fill loads of positions really well. Well, I think the the one thing that the England squad is currently like massively lacking is a really good defensive midfielder, like someone that will just go and try and break ankles or just try and just win the ball and get it back out. So I think in the next few years, I think we'll see Hamza Chowdhury progress from the under twenty ones and the under twenty threes now into the first team once he gets a bit more playing time at Leicester, and I could see him being fleshed in a like eventually. It may be in the friendlies if he if he gets a few runs like a run a game of, if he gets a few runs of games at Leicester, shall I say? But I think right now we're really lacking that. And if we've not, there's no one you can really drop in there other than like, are you going to play like Henderson deep so you can get more attacking mid players in? I, or are you going to play, yeah, it's are you going to trust Declan Rice? I even though he's in bad form at the minute? I, 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 don't, I, don't really I, trust him at the minute. I was an advocate for him starting last time because of the form that West Ham were in. But I think Henderson, and it might be too premature, but I, I'd like to see Oxlade. I think it's always nice uh, because I, really I feel like, like he's such a dynamic midfielder. Him and then Madison as well. I think we're not going to see Madison start do you not think so do you think well, I don't think Hen uh, Southgate is his biggest fan at the minute in terms of, of controversy yeah moments. that controversy like, um, we mentioned it last time with the casino and stuff and he's basically said 
he's a bit co- too cocky and confident on the training ground and he needs to sort of just turn it in and turn it down a notch like be a more of a a, a quieter calmer uh, person in the dressing room and in the in the squad and I would start Madison because he's just immense creatively yeah um but I just think Southgate is really I don't think has Madison even had a cap yet no yeah and he's been in a lot of squads without a cap so he really does show you something and he's been in good form for all those qualifiers as well he's been one of the, he's been one of Leicester's best players and Leicester are probably one of the best like, if not the best team in the league at the minute I, I'd go with, I'd go with, I know I know you've got to have your principles and that um, you can ho- you, we can hope that they can like get that sorted because you, you know cockiness won't get anyone anywhere really in the game but I think that would be a, an exciting midfield to try out against the likes of Montenegro especially if we can get if we can win against in the first game against Montenegro and then we've already won we're already through to the qualifiers and then at that stage we've got a game against Kosovo where it's not as important. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a shot result in that one. I think. Uh, I mean, if we want to do predictions now, I've gone four nil at home to Montenegro. I just don't think they'll have enough quality to even, you know, they might get a couple of chances like in the home game against Bulgaria um, in in the summer, but um, and then in, against Kosovo, I've gone three two away win for England. But I think we will concede you know, See, those I've, two goals. I've gone four one and three one. Uh, Montenegro and Kosovo respectively I just think that knowing England and the way we play we, when we play international football we just shut up like we just shut up shop and we always just like mess up in the, like mess around in the last few minutes of a game especially if it's, if it's not as not as an important game so if we're already if we're cruising at 4-0 we may put the burners on and if we've got Pickford in goal I think he's a massive liability and he'll just mess up I've just realised when we're talking about defence as well somebody that I'm surprised I know he's probably one of the you know because he's been in the squad for many years now and Southgate obviously likes him Surprised if I don't think he deserves to start Rose. Oh, I think he's he been in be really bad form. I think Chill. What, what else does Chill have to do to get that starting? If Danny Rose starts again, I'm going to be raging next week on this podcast. I'm going to be absolutely raging. Because Chill, well, well, in my, in my opinion, is at a higher level now. Haha. <laughs> 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 Donny calls. Uh, I'll, I'll be throwing a shoot at a higher level now, and I feel like you know. There's nothing to lose with playing Chilwell. He, he's it's a he massive upgrade. I get that. I get he like really loves Danny Rose, but it's a massive upgrade. You should be playing Alexander Arnold and Chilwell either side. I think we will see Chilwell. We saw him against Bulgaria. I know Rose was suspended, but since then he performed well in that game, and since then he's performed brilliantly. Nathan, your prediction was um, Montenegro. Yeah, I went four nil for the yeah. first one, and for the next uh, Kosovo, I went two one England. Joe? So I think it's going to be tight as well. Uh, I went 4-1 four, four, one, England Montenegro again. I'm hoping that uh, Pickford makes a mistake. And then <laughs> Kosovo England, um, I'm going 4-0 uh, England because I think optimistic. I think hopefully what? Southgate will realise that um, Pickford's made a mistake and put Pope Ordino in it. And then they'll pull off a 90th minute penalty save. I think... <laughs> Consolation penalty. A blindfolded still. penalty save. Yeah. We are there to get got at, really, defensively. Yeah, Kosovo, of course, there's troubles in the past yeah. as well. Yeah. If he plays Rice, which he's likely to, and then he'd probably put Henderson and then, you know, Mount or maybe Madison on the left of the centre mids. And then you've got Chilwell, who I think is pretty balanced. Uh, he's, he's improving on his defensive. But then you've got Maguire and Stones will probably be the partnership. Or Maguire and uh, Mings, and doesn't bode me well with confidence because none of them are in great form, to be honest. And then Alexander Arnold, we know how good he is going forward, but there's he space is a liability. In behind, yeah. Isn't there? And then obviously Pickford as well. So I think it is 
it's definitely the strongest part of the pitch is the front three, to be honest. I think honestly that I think if we obviously Alexander Arnold deserves to start and I think he should start. I think we should I think the tactical decision is to play uh if you're playing a three midfield, which I think we will do because we'll play a four three three, have Henderson on the right on the right hand side so he can drop in behind and he can because out of out of the midfielders we're probably gonna play, well I would play at least, he's the most offensive of them all and he can he can put a tackle in. So if Trent Alexander-Arnold is running up the pitch, he can he's mobile enough to fill yeah. in. Yeah, that's what I'd hope to see at least. Because I want to see, I'd want to see a midfield of like him, Oxlade, and the Madison would be my. Oh, that sounds too offensive. I don't think he'll go with that in an international tournament. To I think no, I think in the second, I think in the second game again, I think in the game against Kosovo, if we beat and when, hopefully when we beat Montenegro, in this for me as a manager, I'd be thinking I've got nothing to lose in this game trying out a different squad. Let's try out some new tactics and try out different players and see how it works. Because imagine if we play a different formation uh, with all uh, all the young players we've got, and then we have our best performance of the tournament against the probably the hardest opposition we've we've faced in the tournament so far, mm. in the qualification tournament, should I say? Yeah. So I mean, it's worth a try for me. I reckon we might even see Delph, but you know, here's uh, the answer to your problems. Yeah, I just stick Reece him in. James, yeah, Philip Philip Lam, no, <laughs> played right back. Yeah, and then centre defensive mid. You know, he's, built, he's built like a brick he, he plays that so. defensive mid for Wigan a few times last year get him in get him gone lovely jubbly thank you Nathan um, yeah so that's going to be it for this, this episode it was a longer one do hope you enjoyed it next week we'll be back we'll be reviewing the games seeing how the squad did pan out and how hopefully know, all four of us will be here yeah we can only say that definitely all four definitely all four be a maybe, good maybe if you get out of the doghouse Joe then maybe you'll be allowed on as well but we'll have to wait and see won't we mate so yeah, before this boils over anymore, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Good evening and goodbye.